0: Welcome back to Real Talk, number five. I'm joined with my co-host, Chris, retired lieutenant with 28 years of law enforcement experience. Ranging from patrol, SWAT, IA, and most importantly, training. I'm Matt, a 14-year active officer, currently serving as a sergeant, SWAT team leader, trainer, and most importantly, peer support officer. So, these episodes are pretty much shooting from the hip. Generally, we don't have a script, just experiences, so it kind of seems like it flows I did have to write down a few points um, that I want to cover, so just bear with me. I'll try to not make it seem like I'm reading from the script. But this past week, we launched Real Talk on social media and really started getting the word out about what we're trying to do. Um, we're trying to teach. We're trying to lear- uh, learn and teach what we th- that we all think the same way and that we all feel the same way. So we received a, a bunch of messages and phone calls saying that this is needed. It was missing from our police culture, and we should keep going with it. One of, our, one of the officers contacted us and simply put, it's something we all think, we all know, but we don't talk about it because our culture looks down upon it, and we're going to try to change that. So with those positive responses that we've been getting, you fueled us. So if you're hearing a difference in our broadcast, that's because we went out, we spent some money, upgraded all of our equipment, and we're really turning up our reach. So thank you for, for telling us that our content is on point and keep reaching out, keep letting us know. I know this is going to work because we all think about this, but we're afraid to ask someone who's been there. It shows weakness, or so you think. It actually shows strength to ask. Look around at the smartest people you know. They question everything, and that's why they succeed. They change people's lives. So it's the same reason if they're a really good training class after we go to a class as police officers and the instructor says, are there any questions? And there's never any questions. But after class, that instructor's flooded with questions because we all thought that we were the only one who didn't know the answer. So the solution to break that ugly lie is to put it on a podcast. Why? Because you don't have to ask anyone. You simply have to listen. So I'm going to say listen in the car on your ride in. Listen during your shift. If you're in an office, listening at the office, if you're working out at the gym or you're just outside, whatever, just listen. In my opinion, being a cop requires solid tactics for officer safety, physical fitness, and mental growth, which creates strength. The mental growth part is the easiest part, but it is often the most lacking. So take a minute and listen. I'll be the first one to say it that this is nerve-wracking for both of us. And It's a little scary In my life my career, I've been punched in the face. I've seen people killed I've seen family destroyed and I'm constantly being beat down by cop haters Anxiety and fear is simply a job requirement and talking about it is the price that we all must pay to succeed So I implore you don't say after your buddy quits or your spouse loses or your spouse leaves you or where someone kills themselves Oh, I should have done more help them help yourself I want you to enjoy your career. It's about a quarter of your life, if you're lucky, on this earth. Enjoy it, succeed, and share your knowledge. Share what you've learned. That's what we're trying to do. I ask you, let us know what topics you want to hear. Engage with us. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Tell me what you want to hear. This is for us. This is all about us. So We're in the darkest hours of law enforcement right now. But teaching one another, we will succeed and we will change and we're going to help our communities. So help us grow our reach and get our word out to anybody who needs it. If you got an idea on how we can do that, reach out to us. We want to do good with this. We want to help our brothers and sisters. Um, Recently, I was contacted and I received a request about sharing our experiences about Academy life and what it's like. So that those considering law enforcement know what to expect. And we've talked about that in a couple episodes where recruits just show up, they get the job, and then they quit because they had no idea what to expect going into this. So we're going to do an episode on that. It's going to be episode six so that they make the right choice. Listen, I want, you should want, I know Chris wants the best candidates to apply and join for this. Why? Because they're your backup. They're my backup. And they're the ones that could save my life potentially. So I want to make sure the right person's going after the job. And lastly, like no one wants to be a cop. And why? That's because of all the negativity. And we're guilty of that. We always are spewing negativity. Well, I want to tell you, I love my job. And I think I hit the lottery. And I get to watch this the greatest show on earth. And I get paid to do it. So I want people to know what that feels like and have such a fulfilling life. So that's my little rant about uh about firing this up. So with that being said, today we're going to dive into the second phase that we had brought up in episode one, um, and we, we call it the hostility phase. Well, we didn't come up with that, obviously. Um, that's preached to us. We've, we've been taught that over our careers. Um, the hostility phase of being a police officer generally occurs in about the four to six range. So before we hit that, um, let me just make mention to the family and friends of cops that are out there this is where you will probably begin to lose your officers. So if you have a a cop that is in the four to six range, this is where you really want to keep an eye on them. Because think about it. They're out there right now, and they're getting comfortable in their job. They're feeling like they can, can do the job well, but they're also seeing a lot of negativity. They're seeing the worst that our society has to offer. So just simple human nature would say, that they're going to be flooded with negative emotions. So when I, I would say when they come home, let them vent. Listen to them. And if you were fortunate enough to be with them when they decided to become a cop, remind them why they became a cop. Remind them of the passion that they felt and the overwhelming sense of joy that they felt when they first got that job. And that's what's going to help them. So, good. Okay. You don't want to, well, all right, we'll we'll, uh, continue going into, (laughs) you're sitting there speechless because I just, I was,
1: I didn't know you could talk so well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't want to steal the whole show. So obviously um, I wanted to kind of let you get in there, but all right. So going into the, the hostility phase, so kind of indicators or whatever that you may be experiencing this or a cop that you supervise or you or you're friends with or whatever um this is when like they start showing up like 2 minutes before their shift starts um and they're hiding out in like the last 30 minutes of their shift cuz they just don't want they don't want to be seen they don't want to engage with anybody cuz they're just tired of it um they're just they're just no longer coming home and sharing the good about their days, they're no longer uh, expressing fulfillment, more or less. One thing that affects them probably the most, which we as a community or a culture, however we, we say it, um, don't train our new officers, is about the court system. So think of it from a perspective of a a professional in another field, not law enforcement. So we as police officers, we we spent the time locking up the bad guy, solving the, the case, doing a real nice report. Months later, it goes to court. And a lot of times, it's pushed away or pushed out. And that has a very negative, negative, negative impact on the officers. So we don't kind of explain that that's to be expected. It's a lot of wheeling and dealing. Um, and that's kind of one thing that I think that we should touch on.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the issues are when an officer is in his or her um, fascination stage, they're learning the profession, they're learning how things work in law enforcement. By the time they get into their fourth, fifth, sixth year, they kind of got it figured out, and it's not what they expected it to be. It's just like anything else. You know, you, you build up the hype, and then when you are actually engaged or involved in it, you realize, well, this isn't exactly what I anticipated to be. So at that point, you start seeing a guy or a girl starting to get frustrated. Um, you know, a lot of people today, they think that with four years on, that's a lot of experience, but in law enforcement that's nothing. Um, I think it takes at least, in my opinion, five years as a law enforcement officer to actually grasp this job. There's so much to know, there's so much to learn, and going in the academy, you're just learning the basics, you're just getting the small snippet or taste of what law enforcement is all about. And the training that you get from your FTO, depending on the quality of your FTO, um, you're only going to get a certain amount. Where you get the real training is when you're out there yourself doing the work. And, you know, at that point, you're relying on your supervisors to tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And you're getting exposed to a whole lot of things not so good, not so bad, but at the same time, Every situation you go on, you have to know how to do it soup to nuts. And, you know, you spend all this time and all this energy learning this, doing this, and then when things go to court, again, it turns into wheeling and dealing. The guy got off. You missed something in your report. A piece of evidence wasn't admissible because you uh, you did an illegal search by accident or whatever. Just something... Caused the case to get thrown out, or the judge just determined that we're going to give this person a break, which is fine. You know, I'm all about rehabilitation, giving people breaks, but we have the same people coming through the door, committing the same offenses, and they're getting more and more serious as they come through the door and they're still being let go. It's pretty frustrating. So, for an officer that's uh, in this second phase of their career, they're starting to get frustrated. They're starting to Feel like, why am I doing this? You know, I took this job so that I could make a difference. And I can't make a difference because every time I try, I hit a brick wall. And it's frustrating. You know, it was frustrating for me. I know it was frustrating for Matt. And I know it was frustrating for every other cop out there that tries to do it right. So what happens is they just say, you know what? I'm not going to try anymore. You know, I'm not going to put the other, the extra effort in and stay 45 minutes, an hour, two hours after my shift and do a really good report because why so that it can get kicked out in court or it can get uh, downgraded or or whatever so their interest starts to shift away from police work and it starts to shift more towards outside things which is fine when you're not working 100 percent you should not be thinking about this job you should be thinking about um, your outside interests, your family your friends your uh, hobbies all that kind of stuff but There is a part of you that has to maintain your um, loyalty and your dedication to this profession. And when you're working, that's when it should be. And to not have that anymore, it's, it's really hard to get dressed and go to work every day. And like Matt said in the beginning of the segment, that people hate cops. And people have hated cops since cops were developed i mean that's just a way of life and that's because you're dealing with people at their absolute worst and you're taking people's freedom away i mean think about it. you got one of the most powerful jobs in the world you can take someone's freedom away which is crazy to think about um but with social media and everything that is available now to everyone it's just um in your face it's in yeah it's like you can't do anything without seeing a cop um, doing something wrong in their eyes, you know, because, you know, you look at a video, it's two-dimensional, they don't really know what's going on, but, you know, they, they cut it here, they, they fix it there, they do all this um, editing, and the next thing you know, it looks like the cop's beating the crap out of somebody, which in most cases isn't the case, but I'm rambling on here. Mm-hmm. so, you know, this is a, this is an important stage for supervisors. You really should be looking at your officers, and you should really be focusing on their growth and development at this stage. And like Matt was saying about the home life, when you know the young officer comes home and he, he vents to his wife, you know, this is frustrating, I do this, I do that, and I don't get anything for it, and blah, blah, blah. We know it's aggravating. We know you don't want to hear war stories. We know you don't want to hear cop stories. But sometimes y- you need to listen and just let them vent and let them get it out.
0: One of the other things like as a supervisor, um, or an officer, if you find yourself starting to get like paranoid at everything, that's, an, that's another, uh, factor. You'll start hearing the, the cop or the officer or whatever, um, starting to think that everybody's out to get them. Yes. And that's, that's not the case. Um, well, that's not the case. We'll say that's not the case. Most of the time it's not the case. Um, But there's just like this negative cloud that starts to form over them, and I, I want to make a point about this stage. It's kind of a uh, important or all the stages that we we cover. The stage doesn't have to last two years like it it shows like the the four to six year range of the officer. The phase can be quick. The overwhelming majority of the cops are going to experience it at some point. There's some that don't. They're the lucky ones, I would say. But at some point, they're going to probably experience hostility towards their workplace. But once they recognize that and understand what's happening to them, they're going to move out of that a lot faster. If you look at officers who are younger in their career, but they're moving up fast, they're getting promoted, they're moving into specialized units, everything like that. Most likely it's because they've been able to maintain a positive outlook on their career. They may have went through that negative stage of the paranoia and not understanding what was going on. Um, but they recognized it and they basically said like, I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to let this take me. I'm not going to let this beat me down and I'm going to move forward. And then they progress through to other stages. Um, and they, it makes them that much better of an officer. So I just... I want to point that out there. There's no – it's like, oh, if there's a stage that I have to – there's a stage I'm going to go through, I have to go through, it. it's going to take me years to go through, and I'm going to be miserable those two years. No, that's not the case at all. Recognize it, understand what you're going through, and move on. Make it that much better.
1: So we're talking about, I guess, the psychological aspect of this phase. Here's another aspect of this phase that's extremely important and at the same time is extremely dangerous. When officers go th- start going through this phase, they start to get complacent. They start to forget about their tactics. Now, again, I was a, a trainer at the police academy. I've trained a lot of cops in tactics and stuff like that. And you know, you spend a lot of time with these guys and girls and you teach them. You know how to approach a car, how to approach a person, your proper stance, your um, interviewing triangles, your standing at the door, standing in a window, you know areas on perimeters, the way you should be standing behind trees and cover and contact and all that stuff. You spend so much time on this, and you learn it, and you learn it well. And then for the first couple of years, you know, you know, we talked about you go out, you buy the the strongest flashlight out there, you buy every piece of equipment that, um, every uniform store cells and you have it all okay and then you start going in this phase uh, the second phase and you start to lose all your tactical ability because you're not practicing it anymore and you're not you don't care you're like all right I'll go up to this car I'll write him a ticket it'll get kicked out in court or whatever you walk up to the car and that's when you get shot and killed okay Or you go up to the house and, oh, I've been out here four times for domestic this week. You stand in front of the door, and the next thing you know, the guy pulls out a shotgun, and that's it. You're done. Okay? You see it on the news all the time. You hear it all the time. And it's sad, and it doesn't have to happen that way. And, you know, getting away from, like we said, the psychological end of it, just the tactical end of it alone is so dangerous at this stage.
0: Couldn't agree more with you. Um, And we see it all the time. All the time. All the time.
1: You know, when you call a guy out, you'd be like, what are you doing? You know, quick story. Again, here I go with my stories. Um, I was, I always told officers, I said, when you pull a car over and the guy's got a warrant, don't jump out of the car and try to arrest him by yourself. The guy already knows he has a warrant before you even pull him over. And I used to tell everybody this, just wait for backup, just be careful and and wait for your backup to get there, and then arrest the guy. Complacency, one night I'm working, guy's got a warrant, everybody else is tied up, I don't feel like waiting, I get out of the car, I lock the guy up. Now fortunately for me, I didn't have any issues. The guy that backed me up was one of the newest officers in the police department. And this kid comes up to me and he says, Hi, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah, what's up? Why'd you lock him up without any backup? When I tell you I was embarrassed is an understatement. Hmm. This officer was 100% correct. I screwed up. And he called me out on it. And you know what? I guarantee I never did it again.
0: Well, hopefully you t- he, he heeded that advice. And uh, he never did it again either because that, that could have cost him his life. That's a... Uh, a point in and of itself with our culture. Your senior officer, your supervisor, your field training officer, whatever you may be, the newer officers, they're watching every move you make. I mean, it's, it's amplified as you go up the ladder uh, tenfold, but they're watching every single move you make. They're watching how you react to things, how you respond to things. You want to change the toxicity mm-hmm. of being police officer the culture of that and we change it and make it make it enjoyable again or make sure it remains enjoyable it starts with you it starts with all of us and it's easy like well, when I was a a field training officer there was there's plenty of times where I needed to vent about decisions that people around me made people above me made whatever and if I was if I had a boot in the car with me i would either tell them to get out of the car so i can talk to the other officer or vent to the other officer Mm -hmm. or whatever but i always made sure that they were away from me why because that's fto 101 you don't spread negativity to the officer to the new officer because that just taints them for the rest of their career and then it becomes this vicious vicious cycle yeah Uh,
1: here's another thing um Going back to tactics and stuff like this. So let's say you have the officer that is in his or her four to six years. They're already annoyed and they don't want to do things or whatever. So now you have the seasoned guy come up. It could be a lieutenant. It could be a chief. It could be a deputy chief. It could be a captain. The one that wears his gun belt and nothing else on it doesn't wear extra mags, doesn't wear handcuffs, just wears his or her gun. Because they're inside. Nothing's going to happen inside. But yet, they're on their way to lunch, and Officer So-and-so is pulling a car over, and now they're going to stop and back them up. Well, now, the guy who's complacent happens to be a field training officer, and he's with a new boot, and he's trying to tell him or her, you know, you should... Make sure your equipment is maintained and you have everything with you. And then next thing you know, an administrator pulls up and he or she doesn't have anything on them. Well, that just adds to it. All right. The guy that's already annoyed doesn't feel like doing this and he's trying to do the right thing. Now you got the next level coming out and just blowing everything. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, if you want to be the guy or girl who doesn't wear anything when they come to work other than their gun, then don't back people up. Because you're setting a bad example. And this is is part of the problem. It's not always just coming from the officer with four to six years on. It's the outside influences that cause this. And like we said in the beginning with the court system. Okay, that's one influence. Administration's another influence. The public's another influence. There's so many outside influences that cause this. And again, if we don't all take the proper steps to correct our own behavior, then it, the cycle's just never going to end.
0: I want to paint a picture right now. If you're hearing a little bit of tapping in the background, it's because my co-host is banging on the desk. <laughs> and he, he's, we're going to do crisscross applesauce in a second. We're going to be sitting on our hands because he's speaking with so much passion that it, he can't control himself. So, But to his, to his credit, it is very important information. It is, and everybody needs to hear it. Um, we, I want to go back to uh, a story that you just told me the other day about uh, something—a a story you never told me—and um, it was about uh, an interaction you had with a, a drunk driver. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Is this, yes. this, this ringing a bell? Yep. Um, and it, the reason why I, I feel it's important to bring it up about this stage is we talked about in the beginning of the, the segment. That the court system is all about wheeling and dealing, and you really don't get the opportunity. I mean, most of the time you don't even get called to court, so you don't even know what happens to these cases. But few and far between you do get called, or you do get the ability to follow up and find out what things happen. And a lot of time it's not satisfying for you. Um, but in this particular case that uh, or story that you're going to bring up, you had a a positive outcome, and it's just to remind people that even though you. Don't always get to hear the outcome or understand or realize what type of influence you had or change you had over somebody's life. It is out there. Uh, most of the time, we're not fortunate enough to get closure like this from the story that uh, that Chris is going to tell. But it does happen. You do have an impact. So yeah,
1: yeah. This is a this is a pretty uh, successful story in my opinion. So I was working, I think I was a sergeant when I was working, and I had a drunk driver in front of me, and I tried to pull him over, and he took off on me. <clears throat> it wasn't really a pursuit, he just just wouldn't pull over. I wouldn't call it a pursuit, I didn't call it out as a pursuit, I just continued to follow him, and just kept trying to stop him, we were back in the apartment complex, so it really wasn't that um, dangerous of a situation, but whatever. So, things started to escalate a little bit, he started driving a little bit more erratically. And finally he drove up onto the curb and I jumped out of the car. I didn't have any backup at that point. I had to get out of the car because he was getting out of the car. And when he went to get out of the car, he fell out of the car. He was that drunk. So I was able to get him in custody, got him in the back of my car, took him to the station. We processed him. He he took the uh, alcohol test, everything. So that's a breathalyzer. Yeah, back in the day. So he um, he was a frequent flyer. We've been dealing with this kid throughout his entire juvenile life and now his adult life, and he was just a thorn in everybody's side. He was a bad kid. And in our uh, township or state, we have a one attorney, a DWI attorney, who is like the guru of DWIs. He's really good. And, you know, anytime you know that he's representing somebody, you kind of – Get a little pucker factor because you want to make sure that your case is tight. And uh, I saw that he was the um, attorney. So I'm like, all right, here we go. So um, my report was pretty good. I felt good about it. But I knew I was in for a fight when I got in there. So I go into court. And uh, court didn't even start yet. He was in there with his his client. And I think his parents were there. And he came up to me. And he he introduced himself. And I said, yeah, sorry, I know who you are, blah, blah, blah. And he said, listen. He said, we're not going to fight this case. and I was like, what? What do you mean you're not going to fight this case? At first, I was like, yeah, man, my stuff was tight. but then he's like, listen. He goes, well, I'm not going to fight this case. I spoke to the parents, and we're all in agreement that you saved their son's life. That if he would have continued going on that night, he probably would have killed someone or killed himself. He was that intoxicated. And... The parents are in agreement, and I'm in agreement with them, that the best thing for this kid is to get help. And we're not going to fight it, and they just want to thank you for everything you did for their son that night. I got to tell you, that was the best thing I ever heard. That was better than a conviction. I mean, even though I got a conviction, but it was nice to hear that this kid was getting help. And I got to be honest, I think that was maybe in 2008... I never heard from him again, so in my opinion, that was a success.
0: A lot of times we don't, we're not fortunate enough to to get stories like that. It's important to know that the the decisions that we're making and the actions that we're taking are having a positive effect on people out there, and you really are changing lives. I don't want to. I want to end on a good note. So I mean, that was a, that was a positive story that'll pull you right out of the hostility phase. I think. And if, if you're a four-year cop and you're just starting out the hostility phase and you're getting angry about things, you get a story like that, get some closure like that, Yeah, I think that's going to pull you right out and put you into the uh, superiority phase.
1: I'm going to tell you how I got out of the hostility phase. I made the decision that I cannot control certain things in this profession, okay? I can't control what reports I can write or have to write. I can't control if I want to work midnights or day works. I can't control what the court system does. The only thing that I can do is control what I do. If I choose to stop a car and arrest a drunk driver, I did my job. I can't. No one can ask for anything more than that. And if you allow all this other negativity around you to bother you, you are going to have a miserable career and a miserable life. And take this from somebody who was a supervisor, who was a street lieutenant, was an internal affairs lieutenant, who was a boss, essentially, okay? I am one of the guys who assists with causing stress to you, okay? And I'm also one of the guys that worked the street as a street cop. We all start out as a street cop, okay? And... I feel like I was a pretty aggressive cop. And things change when you become an administrator. But you can't let that affect you. That's just business. Okay? And and I always hate to say it's nothing personal. It's business. But in this situation, it is business. And you can't do anything about it. So enjoy your career. Enjoy why you picked this job. Okay? You go to a house where a baby is choking. And you save that baby. You did it. You did your job. Here's a here's the thing. I always would ask officers, what, well, and I would ask them when they were in FTO. I never asked them this question when they were being interviewed for the job because it's the generic answer. And I'd say, "Why do you want to be a cop?" And they'd be like, "Cause I want to help." And I'd stop them right there. I said, "Don't tell me because you want to help people. Tell me the real reason." And Sometimes they would open up. Sometimes they were still a little stiff or whatever. I said, and then I would say to them, let me explain something to you. If you save or change the life of one person in your career, just one person, think about how many lives you've changed. You're not just changing that one life. You're changing that person's spouse's life, their children's life, their friends, their family, their extended family, and everybody else that they know. So you're not just saving one life, you're saving a lot of lives. So don't go out there and try to save the world. Just try to save one person. And make sure you're there for yourself and your family as
0: well. Our social media manager put out a post the other day on Instagram. called we, It was dubbed Success, and it ties in exactly what you just said. The purpose of this podcast is just simply to We, as police officers, do everything for everybody else. And to what Chris just said, we look to change people's lives. And that's the purpose of this podcast, to reach people and let them understand that it's normal and we're all going through it. And our goal was simply to change one life. And we got feedback from somebody. That said thank you. And this is what they needed. So success. That's what we did. we're going to keep doing it. And we're going to keep seeing where we go. With that being said. Stay safe.
1: Stay safe folks.